Ready to start. Okay, you want me to start playing? Yeah. All right, I will do that. Great, thanks. This is from uh, 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 an essay which was released with a CD, and it's called Idioms and Idiots, which um, Seth turned me on to. And it's written collectively by uh, Ray Brazier, Jean-Luc Guillenet, Sejiro Muriyama, and Matin. In speaking of improvisation, we're not just talking about the production of particular sounds or events but the production of social spaces as well. We invoke this as both a strategic term and a conceptual tool. Improvisation can therefore refer both to experimental music making as well as mundane everyday practices. But Wherever it is applied, improvisation should bring about glimpses of instability. So typically there's um, a set and then a conversation about the set. Uh, Lou decided he wanted to do things a little differently and include the conversation in the set, with the set, against the set. Uh, and that's why I'm here. So um, I have some questions. It's a little embarrassing. I can't really read my handwriting. So I guess my first question is, can you make this out? Yeah, uh, read any good books lately? Any on improvising, on music? 
and not on improvising that are n uh, none that are nonetheless on improvising and any on improvising that uh, and any not on improvising that are nonetheless on improvising. <laughs> Thanks. That was the question. Uh, from Ken Vandermark to Lou Malazzi, uh, April 23rd, 2017. Hi Lou, I hope your spring is going beautifully. I'm getting in touch to see if you'd be interested and available to do a concert talk on the Option series in June. I know that you rarely perform solo and thought this would be an exciting thing to present on the program, and then perhaps you'd be willing to talk to me about your work and ideas for the second part of the show. If this sounds possible to you, would either June 5th, 12th, or 19th work? <laughs> Let me know when you have a chance. Uh, Lou Malazzi to Ken Vandermark, April 23rd, 2017. Hi, Ken. Many thanks for the invitation. In fact, a few days ago, I was telling my students that as much as I enjoy improvising with others, I cannot imagine anything more boring than listening to me play solo, which is why I avoid it. However, I want to accept your invitation. The risk and challenge are very intriguing. My condition would be this, that we discuss in the second half the anxiety and theoretical issues around my doing a, quote, solo improvisation, end quote. That is to say, the performance itself may be a failure, but if so, that would be the subject of our discussion, and if, if, if not, it might also be the subject of our discussion. I understand this may seem a bit atypical, but it seems to me that discussions about improvisation, especially just after a set, tend to assume certain codes of behavior, accomplishments, dedication, and context, and I may want to interrogate those or use my improvisation as a forum for that interrogation. If this does not seem to you to be uh, too airheaded, self-centered, or overthought, then I would welcome the opportunity. Ken Vandermark to Lou Malazzi, April 24th, 2017. Hi, Lou. This is great news, and the topics for discussion after your performance sound ideal. What do you do with time? 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 Can you tell the difference between a good performance and a bad one? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think um, the bad ones um, are um, typically the ones where the um, the 
performers' obsessions with their own capacities and capabilities are uh, at the foreground. And the kind of fetishism of their own, um, one's own um, task kind of uh, starts to overshadow the fact of being in the space with the people you're with. Are you aware of this happening when it happens when you're the performer? Yeah, I think so. Do you think the audience is aware? Yeah, or it, I mean it varies a lot because the audience isn't a thing, you know. Do you, but do you have a sense that when you realize it's happening that the audience also realizes it's happening? Yeah, which kind of sort of um, it, it sort of illustrates its the, the failure illustrates its own substance, which is that the, the a space has been created that's kind of somehow in common, and that commonality somehow uh, becomes apparent. So yeah, I think that would have to be true. I think yeah, me and my own experience, I'd say yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I think it's also more complicated when there are multiple performers in terms of the, how that realization takes place. Because some may be less attuned to that than others, which is why it's happening in the first place. Will you let us know if it's happening now? Yeah, you'll be the second to know. <laughs> means that you are not part of something, but dealing with it from some kind of exteriority, yet one which involves the imminence of practice rather than the transcendence of reflection. As a negative prefix, non also means that you are supposed to have some kind of imminent general point of view, not 
from above, but from within the practice of music itself, the most imminent point of view possible. It entails that you add a layer of representation such that it either subtracts the previous layer or even unifies all the layers. So improvised music is often thought of as a, as a free music. Um, but rather than using uh, a vibrating string or a quivering reed or a tremulous membrane, you're using recorded media, which uh, carries with it a history. So I wonder if you feel that um, in doing so, you're uh, inflicting some kind of violence upon your sources. Um, probably. But, um, and that, I don't know if that question is any different than a musician and uh, inflicting a sort of, sort of violence, like a, like a saxophonist could be said to be inflicting violence upon her reed, you know, uh, in certain instances. So I think it varies. I don't know that it's a, a, a inherently an act of violence. It's an act of um, um, like recontextualization is too neutral. I mean, I think that's a lie to say that I'm recontextualizing these things, even though I've said that before. Yeah, so I think that's lying a lie too. I said that. Yeah, that's probably true. But I mean, uh, it, I'm not sure that that's saying enough. Is what I mean. Not that it's a lie, but it just seems like it's a way of not taking uh, responsibility. So I think the, the the history question is the interesting one. I think it's your sort of your. I think you're repopulating. Like you're repopulating the present with these with these materials that already exist, and then you're repopulating those materials with a present that didn't exist when they were made. So I think in that sense, I think I think I think it's more like that from from my perspective. Yeah, but we all know that the history of repopulating is you know is uh, deeply implicated with with violence. Yeah, um, and that a, a read and a human voice taken from some previously recorded source are not the same, they don't... No, uh, no I, didn't, I wasn't saying they were the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm wondering, you know, if, if, uh, if one needs to be sensitive or uh, take some sort of responsibility for the way, in, the way in which one resituates those sources? Yeah. Do you, th do you think about that? I think about it sometimes. I think what happens is there's two things happen. One is the material sometimes suggests to itself, itself, uh, itself it suggests spontaneously uh, a way to be responsible towards it. I think that does happen, so I do think about that. And in other cases, I don't think about that. I think about the, I think about reducing it to material, like which is maybe a sort of violence, in, in what you're saying is kind of violent or is almost Almost like a lack of lack of ethical ethical state um, stance towards the to, towards the material itself, so that it, that could be true. Um, and then the question is also about irony, right? So I mean, to some degree, because this is a, a kind of an exercise in irony if if one is kind of repopulating with this material, um, which uh, uh, the ironic part is not that interesting to me. 
The violent part, I think, is interesting to me. I think I have to admit that there's something of that happening. Yeah. And what about on a night like tonight when uh, all of the recordings you're using were chosen by others, so you didn't know the histories and the yeah. sources of those materials, yeah. and yet you're bringing them into a performance that you're going to call yours? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what's happening. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> I guess. I mean, yeah, that's true. But well, I'm thinking actually that this question relates to the question you asked Damon last week. Well, yeah. Um, How did you feel about the way he answered a, a kind of similar? Well, I think it's really interesting because, in, from Damon's perspective, I think Damon is is approaching his material as a collector of things, and he studies that material, and then it, then from that study, he develops strategies in order to deal with the studied nature of what he's dealing with with his sources. So his approach to the sources is one of study and one of collecting, and this is an approach that doesn't have to do with study or collecting, it has to do with kind of a, um, a response of, of place and a response of context, and of um, listening back to what's happening and trying to, in some ways, engage in a dialogue with this material and some, uh, not to dismiss the fact that obviously I'm controlling it, right? Um, but I'm not studying it, so I don't feel that that's where I think is there's a kind of a difference in, in terms of the approaches. That's a really fundamental difference. Mm -hmm. um, so the site of responsibility isn't in the studying and then making a kind of set of decisions about how to approach the material, <coughs> what oh, in what um, I'm say like what stands to take towards it, but the responsibility takes place at the moment of the making, which is more which is a, di a really different kind of uh, attitude towards the material, toward, uh, towards recordings, toward, in particular towards recorded material, I think. So there, I think it's quite different from, from that comparison. Does that answer the I don't know. That's probably right. Or reaction to Kreidler's question. I 
Hi, this is Johannes Kreitler from Berlin. Honestly, I'm not a big fan of improvised music. In my opinion, anything in music can be done better by having a thoroughly written score. Why do you improvise? Uh, I don't know what he means by anything. What does he mean by anything? What does he mean by better? Yeah, better, yeah. But you don't know what better is if you don't know what anything is. I don't know what anything is. What, what, what possibly could anything be? When you say anything in music, I have no idea what anything would possibly be. Does it make any sense? Well, he seems to be suggesting that anything you might do within a musical context could or would be better if scored rather than improvised. Yeah. So anything means anything. <laughs> yeah, it does. Anything means anything. Yeah, this is the problem, the question, I think. I don't know how to answer a question like that. Yeah. We'll move on. Make any we'll sense on. to me at all. Is it bad if I am bored? No. Is this the fault of the performer or myself, or does it not matter? It, it matters. And it's, it's, it could be both of our faults. It's hard to pin the blame with bored. Bored is hard to pin the blame on bored. Very difficult. I, I mean, seriously, I think it's very difficult. But I don't know. The question is not who's, you know, whose responsibility is it, I guess, is the question. I guess it's partly my responsibility. <laughs> I'll accept that. It's partly my responsibility if you're bored. And, and, and I, I'm, if that is a state that annoys you, then I apologize. Um, I think that's all I can do in a situation like that. I hope I'm forgiven. But it could be you, too. So I think you need to apologize to me. Okay. This one reads. <laughs> so I guess Kreidler was right then. Do you want a, a written score? Like written, 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 written score. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's this, this is for Johannes Kreidler. Okay. And, and I'll ask this question in conjunction with that response. I like Johannes Kreidler. Well, don't like him. Nobody likes Johannes yeah, Kreidler. But I mean, you know, I kind of like what some of the things that, that Mr. Kreidler has done. How's that? I like the way that he makes me think about what I'm not doing.
uh, part B of that question. What yeah. do you see in the relationship uh, between patriarchy and appropriation? And don't you think, part C, don't you think we have to question representation? Hmm. I think uh, that it is entirely possible that, um, I, I don't know if I would want to say something as broad as appropriation, because it's a pretty broad thing by itself, but let's say there may be, there's something about appropriation that certainly seems like a, a Yeah, that I think could could certainly be construed as a, a sort of, um, if not patriarchal, certainly a colonizing sort of uh, move. I think, yeah. Um, so I think there's something a little unnerving about that. I would have to agree. I like the idea that that's a problem. Uh, not that I like the problem. What I mean is I like the idea that one, that one raises the problem that way. Um, what was the second half of that? I'm sorry, I just drifted. Oh shit! Anybody remember? Just because, just because it's written down. I, I know. Is that like an obligation to remember it? Uh, what do you see in the in the relationship between patriarchy and appropriation? Yeah. And don't you think uh, we have to question representation? Yeah. Well, well, I think we definitely have to question representation. But again, that seems kind of big. You mean like question, question? Or the fact that we engage in representation, I don't know that we can help that. We can question the way we represent, or we can question the way we mobilize representation, what, what ends we put it to. I think we can definitely question that, which might be something also at the root of the first part of the question about the patriarchal uh, underpinning of, uh, of, a, of appropriation, of an appropriational gesture. I'm not con totally convinced that it can be contained that way, but I think that would be a really significant critique to examine. Well, here's agree. another way to think about the question. Uh, I'm at a vantage point where I can only hear the performance but not see you. To what extent is your physical performative movement important? What am I missing, if anything? Uh, I, I don't know that it's that important. I think it's, um, I think it has more to do with being in the space simultaneously than necessarily any particular physical gesture. Um, the fact, though, that a body is doing these things, and the body is interacting with these things which have to be interacted with, with a body um, on a kind of tactile level is really important. So that aspect, I think, is really important. In the, set, the fact that that's happening is important. Whether or not you necessarily have to see it, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Um, but to be aware of it is important because I think it's a, it's a corporeal thing. So maybe that also goes back to this question of, uh, complicates a little bit the question of appropriation. For example, when we say appropriation, what are we doing in the appropriation? Like what's the, pro the particular process of appropriation? So this is like a tactile kind of way, of, kind of tactile sonic way of dealing with appropriation, which isn't the same as like a pictorial appropriation or a, uh, or a digital appropriation. Those I think are really different acts. 
in some fundamental ways, or at least they, they turn appropriation into other kinds of directions and they make it more complicated. So I think it's the place where someone, uh, I'm getting in that same question, this question about representation and appropriation, which we I think often think of as text, kind of, like we're dealing with texts, these are texts to be re retexted in a certain way. This, the corporeal part, I think, makes that a little bit more complicated, because I don't think we can be fully in the presence of text-based thinking about appropriation. I think uh, you, that, would, you would argue this. Probably. Well, I'm, I'm wondering, so is this because you're manipulating it in real time, and that's something that's... It's, I, think it, I, I think it has to do with, I, I have to touch it. With physicality? Yeah. And that's different from text in the sense that text is generally not manipulated physically by the reader, yeah. for instance? Yeah, yeah. So I just think that that's a different thing, that's all, you know? Or what you do with an image, like in a digital mode, is not the same as what you do with an image, an image or material in this, in this tactile mode. There is a difference, and I think the difference uh, has some substance. So in this case, reading text is a digital operation? No, no, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm saying that uh, um, there are different categories. One might be a text, one might be digital manipulation, okay. one might be this, one might be that. Okay. You know, but I think if we kind of talk about these categories and one of the categories being something uh, tactile, then I think we can maybe make some comparisons. And at least to compare the fact that, or just establish ways that those are different and how those differences maybe then fold back into some some significance when it comes to the act of appropriating. That's all. So in other words, the act of appropriating is not a thing in itself, and then we have these different ways we do it. We do it in different ways, and those affect what appropriation actually is. We just happen to call them all appropriation. How much of this, this kind of thinking about what you're doing with these source materials um, has occurred to you since you began, and how much were you already thinking about when you started? So did you, did you start using source materials in an improvising context in order to bring some of these issues to the fore? Or, or did they only occur to you later? Most of them occurred to me later. Most of them occurred to me as in doing it. But some of the ideas were based on <coughs> ideas that were already present in doing non-improvised work with um, recordable media, recorded media, and, uh, and text. Uh, in particular, uh, texts that are like um, mm, text messages. Text? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> not, not not in this particular case. Although that's kind of cute. I just got one um, <laughs> from someone who's here, uh, predictably speaking. And uh, no, so I think some of the ideas were already at work in terms of uh, um, uh, what it meant to manipulate. Um, uh, appropriated materials and also what it at that time when I was working and I'm talking like I'll give it dates so we're talking like uh, late 80s early 90s um, uh, about um, making things that sounded like they were appropriated like I would do that sometimes I would make stuff like I would compose co quote compose and quote a piece of music that sounded like it came from something and have performers perform it and then when you listen to it, you say, oh, yeah, it sounds like, well, I wonder what, what, what opera is that from, you know? And it was like some, you know, it wasn't from any opera at all, right? So, um, so there were all these kind of questions that had to do with uh, representation that were in the work at that time. Mm -hmm. The imp 
improvised thing be, was a much more of an approach to dealing with it, not in a way that had, uh, had to do with going in a recording studio and spending many hours in constructing things and composing things and uh, fixing them, but instead taking some of those same materials and dismantling them, like, like dealing with dismantling them live in a way, right? So it was still a deconstruction, but it was a deconstruction in the moment. And it was a deconstruction that had to do with gesture and, and um, touching stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, probably pretty. So, so, is there like a an important shift there from something we might call conceptual, or um, you know, something that works with the context of both the original source material and the new context you're putting it into? Um, so that's sort of period one or, or approach one. And then uh, when you're improvising like this, do we lose some of that conceptualism and some of that um, contextualism uh, yeah, maybe. in favor of other things? Yeah, like probably. Things in are tactility. And they're tactility and gestural, I think, maybe, if you want to like look at it in that. Yeah, but I mean, I think also the framework of doing is different, so we can compare them in that way. But we can say that maybe they f they have things that that they, they they go into each other in different ways too. I think of them more like that that they, they go into each other in different ways. In your thinking, in my thinking, in, in the way yeah, yeah, you yeah. Move between various yeah, yeah. aspects of your practice, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think and that's is that right. is that sort of in between territory accessible to uh, to your audience in some way? Um, can we be there or only here? You know, only A or B. Uh, not sure, actually. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know how accessible it is. Um, I also am not sure that I'm really so concerned with that, the accessibility of that, that, uh, that oscillation. people have asked questions with varying degrees of facetiousness uh, about whether this is fully improvised or whether you rehearsed in any way, and if so, how much. Um, this is fully improvised. Um, the um, materials are gathered from records that I've never played before or listened to. Um, and that's a little bit of a self-joke, because even records that I have played before, I sometimes grab them and put them on by mistake, and then I have to deal with what I just, like, screwed something up, you know, and there's, oh, well, that's where we are now. Um, so it's a little bit of a kind of self-joke. But also it was a way to try to stack the deck a little bit against um, preparation. So I, didn't re I haven't rehearsed uh, any of these things. And then I just... Um, we had Hal Rammel on the phone earlier on, by the way, um, calling in from uh, just outside Milwaukee. Uh, I think with his dog, it sounded like, and, and his saw. Um, and then I lost him. Oh, no, I have the, the phone's on, but I don't seem to be anything going on there, so I'm not sure. I'm not, I must he's driving down. He's right. driving down. Yeah, he'll be here any second. He, he's on his way. That was the text, actually. He's, I'm, just, I'm, I'm in Waukegan right now. Thank <laughs> you. 